Sun Life Community Church came into being as the result of a compelling vision for a different kind of church, interested in what we call the Sun Life, experiencing and sharing the life of God's Son. Perhaps your heart is burdened these days. We invite you to allow the Word of God through the words of this message to bring rest to your soul and joy to your heart. Let's bow in prayer, shall we? Heavenly Father, we're about to open your word. It's a miracle book. It's a miracle that we have it in our hands. It's a miracle it's been preserved and printed and distributed. It's a miracle through all these centuries that that the Church of Jesus Christ has, has had the word of God the very words of Christ, to guide them, to instruct them. And now, Father, as we prepare to look at some of them, we ask that by your Holy Spirit you would enlighten us, you would encourage us, you would apply what we read today to our hearts that that we might truly be just more seen as the children of God in this world. For we ask this now in Jesus' name and for the sake of his glorious church. Amen. No man ever spoke like this man. The Bible tells us that's what the people of Jesus' day said about him. When we hear that phrase, generally we take it to mean he spoke clearly, compassionately, intriguingly at times, refreshingly, personally, and persuasively. He spoke in all those ways, we know. And he did not speak rigidly or judgmentally, not pompously or dogmatically like the chief priests and the scribes and the Pharisees did. No man ever spoke like this man. And so we also read in the scripture these words, the common people heard him gladly. That's one of my favorite ministry images. The common people, the ordinary people, the regular people, they heard him gladly. Gladly. However, this red letter living series of ours is revealing to us that there might be some other adverbs that might well be employed to describe Jesus speaking. Given the passage we looked at last week, and the one we will look at today, and others that lie in our future, we could easily and certainly say that he also spoke shockingly and challengingly, outrageously even, and extremely, disturbingly, and even at times provocatively. Now last week we heard him say, Do not resist an evil person. How many common people heard that gladly, do you think? How many of us heard that gladly? Oh, boy. I asked you to think of the evil people in your life, the ones who make your life difficult. And Jesus says, do not resist them. In other words, be willing to suffer loss at their hands. Turn the other cheek. Go the second mile. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. 
that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. Your Father in heaven who causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good, who sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. You see, those words that we looked at last week, with those words... Jesus was basically announcing that God the Father was entering into a new phase, a new phase of dealing with the people of this earth. Things were changing. The days of periodic judgments were over. The days of perpetual opportunity had come. The days of Jewish privilege and exclusiveness were ending. The days of worldwide salvation were beginning. Those were shocking words indeed. Disturbing even to many. Now our red letter scripture today communicates an even more shocking image and idea. And here it is. We find it in Mark chapter 9. Verses 43 to 47. And Jesus says this. I'm sure this was just shocked the people that when they heard it. He said, now, if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. Just cut it off. It is better for you to enter life maimed than with two hands to go into hell where the fire never goes out. If your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life crippled than to have two feet and be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into hell. Can I get an amen? Amen. Amen. How many of you are planning to go home still with two hands, two feet, and two eyes? Hoping so, right? Okay, okay. Well, what about the the people of Jesus' day when they heard this? Wow! Growing up, did you ever have your mother at the table smack your hand? When you're... You could all have one cookie and and you're reaching out for another one and and what? She just smacks it. My mom did. Did any of you have a mom like that? Boy, if you, you just get a smack on the hand and it's like, put that hand right back where it belongs. That hand is causing you to sin, Mark. I told you one cookie or you can't have it until you eat your regular meal but I'm just glad my mom had no hatchet handy. See, I might have lost a hand right there. Who knows what these people were picturing? If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. Cut off the foot that's causing you to sin. Pluck out the eye that's causing you to sin. As we read that and gave a hearty amen to it, let me ask you, can't you just picture now In fact, aren't we almost forced to picture now a long line of people with one hand and one foot and one eye entering through heaven's gate? There they are. That scripture could cause us to picture that in our mind, but you know, to tell you the truth, I can't picture that. 
I can't picture that ever being a reality. A long line of people with one hand and one foot and one eye entering into heaven to enjoy all eternity in that state. I can't imagine that any more than I can imagine a similar line of people with the imprint of somebody's hand on both sides of their face walking coatless and shirtless and perhaps even penniless toward that same gate. You see, Jesus here, in both of these occasions, was talking extremely and extravagantly. He was doing it for a purpose. His point was to make a point. Last week, He was telling us to be as merciful and patient and loving and generous as our Heavenly Father is to all men. Not just to the good guys, as we understand the good guys to be. He called upon us last week to respond to all men with what we called a response like no other with a response like God himself gives to all men in this marvelous age of grace. Now today, today I believe he is telling us by means of this rather vivid word picture that we should live our lives with a resolve like no other. A resolve that I would express this way, and we can all personalize it. It says, I, I will not allow anything to keep me from enjoying the fullness of the kingdom. Did you say, that's a determination I'm making my life. I am resolving. That'd be the best New Year's resolution that anybody could make. And it's like the resolution for your whole life, every day, all the time. I will never, I will not allow anything to keep me from enjoying the fullness of the kingdom. Jesus said the kingdom begins right here, right now, with us, among us. Because the spirit of the kingdom is right here been given to us to companion us through our life, to change us, to work in us, so that kingdom values, kingdom goodness, kingdom nature is actually what we experience even this side of the kingdom itself. And to say, I resolve. I won't let anything keep me from that. Jesus said, I came that you might have life and have it abundantly and If we love him, if we honor him, if we want to be the people he wants us to be, we want to say, well, then that's the life I want. That abundant life, that kingdom life, that very kind of human life that Jesus himself lived. In fact, I will not let anything come in the way. Keep me from enjoying the fullness of the kingdom. That's what Jesus was getting at. He was not preparing to hand out little hatchets to everybody. He said, now keep this handy. If your hand offends you, if it causes you to sin, cut it off. You know, the reason that we know Jesus wasn't serious about that, that he really wasn't telling us to carry around implements to physically 
mangle ourselves, is that he would know, because we're sinners, right, if this hand offends me and I cut it off, what's this hand going to be doing? I'll have to cut that one off too sooner or later, won't I? Now I'm handless. If this foot offends me and I literally cut it off, it causes me to sin, what's going to make this foot righteous? So as Jesus saying, the ultimate here is you got no hands, no feet, no eyes. Now go out and serve me. That isn't what he's saying. What he's doing is painting a picture that might cause somebody to say, I think he's, he's really serious about this. He's really serious about this. Because there are things in this life that can withhold from us the very life of the kingdom he wants us to enjoy. The life of the kingdom that he himself is demonstrating right in front of us. And so he's making a point here. And as I thought about that this week, it seemed to me we could divide this resolve into three, three expressions of it. This kind of resolve that says, I will not allow anything to keep me from enjoying the fullness of the kingdom can be expressed in at least three different ways in our minds that help us, might help us clarify it and, and get our purpose, get our agenda set. And so let's just discuss those this morning. Here's the first one. I resolve that, first off, I will allow nothing to get in the way of Christ's call on my life. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the Savior of the world, is the one who came into this world and issued calls to men. Come, follow me. He said to the fishermen, we have it recorded in Mark chapter 1, verse 17. Come, follow me. And they did. Peter, James, Andrew, John. He said that to Matthew, a tax collector, working for the Romans. He said, come, follow me. And Matthew just left his business. He left his money. He left everything. He left his responsibility even to the Roman government. And he followed after. Through the centuries, by the ministry of the Holy Spirit, the word of Jesus has come to untold numbers to come follow me. That is the basic invitation of the Christian life. Leave this world. Leave your, your sinful self. Come <clears throat> and follow me. And then on another occasion, Jesus explained a little bit that was involved. Luke chapter 9, verse 23, we read, Let him deny himself. And if anyone would come after me, Jesus says, if anyone would accept that call to follow him, then let him, her, deny himself and take up his cross. It's going to be a challenging thing to follow Jesus. It might bring about the death of a variety of things. Have you heard Christ's call? Do you recall the first time you heard it? The Holy Spirit saying to you is in the environment, whether reading the scripture, whether hearing a message, whether listening to something on the radio, a Christian song even that penetrated your heart, and you heard clearly Christ calling you to lay aside what you've got and come follow him. 
and let him be your Savior. Let him be your Lord. Confess him as the eternal Son of God that he is. And you heard it. You know you heard it. And you responded to it. And for some of us, that might have been 50, 60 years ago. For others of us, it might have been 50 or 60 days ago. That call can become confused, forgotten, set aside a bit. See, we're saying, I will let nothing... I will let nothing get in the way of Christ's call upon my life. If we paraphrase what Jesus says there, it's if your hand gets in the way of my call upon your life, cut it off. Because I am calling you to life. And if your hand is getting in the way of that, then it's not life you're going to be experiencing. It's going to be something else. See, ultimately, ultimately our resolve takes the form, I will not even allow me to get in the way. I will allow nothing to get in the way. I will not allow me to get in the way of Christ's call upon my life. Me is the biggest potential hurdle to get over, isn't it? I have my own ideas of how my life ought to go. I have my own goals. I have my own strategies. I have my own understandings of my abilities. Jesus or me? Who's going to control my life? Which one is going to determine the way that I will live my life? And let me just say, the earlier in life that that question is answered, the better. You who have children that are just growing up. You who have grandchildren who are are just beginning to find their way. The earlier in life they decide that their life belongs to Jesus Christ. And they are looking to him. They're trying to hear clearly his call. Come this way. Do this. Follow me. Learn of me. The earlier that is settled, the better. Some folks are Christians for a long, long time, and that doesn't get settled. On any given day, they can be fighting with Christ over who's running the show. And they don't enjoy kingdom life. They don't enjoy the fullness. And, they, and so I will not allow anything to get in the way of Christ's call on my life, even me. I will not allow that. You see, Christ's call is a call to surrender. Complete capitulation. That's why here in this church we, we try to stress worship so much. You know, you can't worship and still be boss of your life. Every time we worship... We come right to the place of saying, he's all I need. We come right to the place of saying, God, my heavenly Father, Son, Spirit, this is what my life is being lived under their authority. Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father 
unless they come through him, unless they are on the same page as he is on. So I encourage you, like we've been doing, read the red letters. We started this series encouraging you to read through the entire uh, Gospels, at least the Gospel of Mark, start with that, and read all the red letters. This is what Jesus said. This is what Jesus means. This is what Jesus desires for us. This, these are the words of the Lord of my life, who calls me. And I want to understand that calling as best I can, so we read what the one who calls says. And we hear his call. And we don't let anything get in the way of it. Make those red letters of Christ the directives for your life. Read, reread some of the messages that we've gone through as a congregation over the last four or five years. Remember that, that series we started with called Looking to Jesus. Searching the scripture to discover Jesus' heavenly present day ministries. He's at the right hand of the Father. He's ministering on our behalf. We need to understand that because his call to us is influenced by what he's presently doing in heaven for us. And then we had the series Walking with Numa, the one that Jesus has sent, the Holy Spirit, his everyday ministry with us, fulfilling the desires of Christ in us, making us like Christ, ever reminding us of the call of Christ upon us. Review those things. And then that series Apprehending Abba, going through all the incredible attributes of our Heavenly Father so personally expressed that we covered. And then, of course, right now, our red letter living, we're about halfway through this thing, at least there's been quite a few, applying the teachings of Jesus to our life. Don't let anything get in the way of that stuff. Don't let anything kind of block it out. Review it, know it. These are the biblical truths that God has revealed to us and preserved for us. Don't let anything get in the way of Christ's call upon your life. That's surgery number one. If there's anything in the way, what should we do with it? Cut it off. off. Thank you. Thank you. If there's anything in the way... See, if my hand has a hold of some ungodly book that I just love to read and it puts thoughts in my mind and pictures in my don't cut the hand off, throw the book away. If my hand is turning the dial or the remote on the TV and I keep coming to programs that are just ungodly, programs that are filled with every kind of moral perversion that just reflect the state of our society today or even people who are just talking about that stuff all the time, don't cut your hand off. Turn the TV off. Whatever it might be, Do the surgery necessary. Don't give your hand the opportunity to get into trouble. Remove anything that gets in the way of Christ's call upon your life. 
Now here's a second expression of this directive. I resolve that I will cut off anything that hinders the Spirit's work in my life. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 3.18, a verse that we, we uh, mention all the time, we are being transformed by the Holy Spirit into his or Christ's likeness. See, the Holy Spirit led Paul to understand that that transformation is taking place. We respond to the call of Christ. But as we respond to the call of Christ, Christ himself sends the Holy Spirit into our lives to begin to make us like Christ. Not just people who say, well, you know, I'm not perfect, I'm just forgiven. I got saved and praise God, I didn't have to earn my salvation because I couldn't have earned one day in heaven. I know that, I'm a sinner. I know Jesus died for my sins. And I heard the call of Christ saying, trust me. Trust me, believe in me, believe. And, and I did, I did, I heard the call. In fact, to tell you the truth, I could tell you, I can relive that moment almost like it's this moment. That call is still fresh. But you know, I'm still in the flesh. I'm still in this world. I'm still in need of the same stuff I was in need of all along. And so I'm, I'm kind of, you might say, just a baby Christian. I heard the call and I love the Savior. And I remind myself regularly that he died for me. I can even tell others that he died for me. But I mess up all the time. It's like I'm not making much progress if I'm supposed to be making progress. Well, something. Something's gone amok there. Because Jesus, the Savior, sent the Holy Spirit to be with us, to change us, to work in us, to gradually give us strength, spiritually speaking, to overcome the things that have derailed us regularly. So if there's anything, anything that hinders his work, it's got to go. It's got to go. See, Jesus said, John 16, 13, He, that is the Holy Spirit, He'll guide you into all truth. He'll help you understand more and more and more and more about the way God wants things to function and the way that things do function within the kingdom of God. These are the words that we should be reading. These are the words we should be taking to heart. The truth that the Holy Spirit has caused to be set down in the scriptures. And then, of course, reminding us, John 14, 16, I will ask the Father, Jesus said, and he will give you another companion. This Holy Spirit is with you. Really with you. And a lot of believers fall short because they never even get that understood. Either they're never taught that, they never sense it, they're, they're just... One of the best ways, now listen carefully to this, one of the best ways to hinder the Holy Spirit's work in your life is to believe that Jesus is with you.
And I've been raised my whole life, as I imagine many of you have been raised too, with the idea that Jesus walks with me and he talks with me. And Jesus is in my life just kind of in an invisible way, the way that Jesus was in his disciples' life. And the more we read the Gospels, more we can get to the understanding of how it is to just walk with Jesus through this world. Thousands of copies of the book Jesus Calling have been written. And every page of that book has the idea that Jesus is here with me. He's the one conversing with me every day. He's the one who's counseling me through every day's experience. He's the one that I pray to. He's the one I am encouraged by. And it's just biblically wrong. Those notions hinder, get in the way of the Holy Spirit's work in our lives. And so we need to get our thinking straight on that. We need to get God's thinking on that. Quit hindering, resisting, grieving the very precious Spirit of God who is right there with you whether you acknowledge it or not. Quit doing that and begin to rejoice that our Savior Jesus is doing phenomenal ministry in heaven, and the Bible talks about that. He's our great high priest. He's our intercessor. He's the one who keeps the relationship with the Father, the door open, as it were. We identified 12 such things that he is doing on our behalf. But it's the Holy Spirit who is walking us through this life. It's the Holy Spirit who has his hands on us like a sculptor, has hands on the marble or on the clay, the potter. And if we deny he's there or just don't ever acknowledge he is, how does that not hinder him? So we need to cut off anything. Anything that gets in his way. That's a critical part of this resolve. One way to hinder the Holy Spirit's work is also to have bad teaching on the Holy Spirit. And so we're expecting him to do something he was never intended to come and do. But that hinders him. That hinders him. So we need to resolve. I will come to a biblical understanding of the person and the role of the Holy Spirit and I will yield myself to him. I will rejoice in God's plan for me And with this companion, he is sent to be with me. Now, when we resolve that, we need to take some steps even like the Apostle Paul did. Philippians 3.13, Paul says to those who are reading, he says, "I, I had to forget everything that was behind. There's a lot of stuff in our past that can mess up our our growth in grace. A lot of stuff in our past that can be like a hand that is causing us to sin and and we just need to get rid of it. Paul says, in fact, wrote Philippians 3.8, I count it as garbage, rubbish. There can be things that are just not worth hanging on to. They're detriments to the work of the Spirit. 
Paul himself was doing some spiritual surgery at that point. Paul was removing from himself stuff that would surely hinder the Spirit's work. Paul was divesting himself of his prideful religious traditions. After all, he was a Pharisee. He had reached the peak of his religious uh, ladder. Regarding the law, the righteousness that's in the law, Paul's, I was blameless, he says. How haughty is that? For anybody to say, and yet they had boiled the law of God down to such a level that a man like Paul could say, I kept it perfectly. I was blameless. Paul had to throw away all that prideful, evaluation of himself. He had to throw away that very structure that would allow a human being to feel prideful about their accomplishments religiously. See, those are the kind of things, those are the kind of things that that can cause a man to think, God is sure lucky to have a guy like me in the kingdom. Paul was one of those guys before he came to Christ. The Pharisees were guys like that. Our God is sure blessed to have men like us so committed to the law, so committed to the the faith once laid down to our forefathers, so committed that we can spot a phony like Jesus a mile away. God is sure lucky to have us in the kingdom. Haughtiness, pride, it frustrates the Holy Spirit, hinders him, and it needs to be cut away, be done with. You see, in complete contrast to that self-confident cockiness, Paul came to realize that the only way he could truly respond to Christ's call upon his life was, and here we put a list of things, was to be to live by, to keep in step with, and be controlled by the Spirit. Not following a bunch of rules and regulations. Not hanging around with guys who took turns patting each other on the back. But to be, to live by, keep in step with, and be controlled by the Spirit. Anything that got in the way of that simply had to be cut out of his life even if it proved painful, even if it caused loss in the eyes of his former companions. We could call that life surgery number two. Well, here's the third. Third expression of this directive from Jesus. I resolve that three, I will shut my eyes. Let's try that right now. Shut your eyes tight. Go ahead, just shut them. Just prove you can do it. I will shut my eyes tight. You can open them. To anything that might divert my attention from the awesome attributes of my Abba Father. It's all about God. It's all about our Heavenly Father. Jesus said eternal life is actually just getting to know him. And if you know him, your life is just going to take a surge forward. 
You get to know your Heavenly Father. The more you get to know your Heavenly Father, the more your earthly life takes on a heavenly quality. There's a joy in it that comes from Him. There's a peace in it that comes from Him, ministered by His Holy Spirit who is with you. God said way back in, in the book of Psalms 46.10, He said, Be still and know that I am God. Jesus himself said that knowing God was the very essence of eternal life, this abundant life that Jesus came to bring. And then in the verse we saw last week, Matthew 5.45, Jesus says, Live in such a way that you might be children. I would understand that to be that you might show yourself to be children of your Father in heaven. You see, those words suggest that having our eyes focused on the greatness and goodness of our Father in heaven will positively affect our behavior on earth. So I need to keep my attention firmly focused on the attributes of my Heavenly Father. What is He like? Can I wrap my limited mind around them and and possess them, apprehend them? So we said, take them into custody and make them our own. I need to shut my eyes to anything that causes me to look somewhere else for that sense of awe that can only and does most satisfyingly come from my Heavenly Father himself. So I need to remove such things from my daily contemplations. Life surgery number three. Now, Hopefully at this point, if we need to, we're ready to enter into the operating room and pick up the scalpel and act upon the resolve that we have made. A resolve that Jesus has expressed for us. This resolve like no other. I will not allow anything to keep me from enjoying the fullness of the kingdom. I will allow nothing to get in the way of Christ's call upon my life. I will cut off anything that hinders the Spirit's work in my life. I will shut my eyes to anything that might divert my attention from the awesome attributes of my Abba Father. So the question is, of course, what are such things? Pastor Mark, could you give me a list of five of them? I think I might have to ask you for a list of five of them. Maybe all of us together could get quite a list See, what are these things that might require surgical removal from our lives? Now, I want to say this morning, we already know. We already know. Because we usually do. We are generally well aware of this thing, anything that gets in the way, that hinders the work, that diverts our gaze, It could be a relationship with someone or something that's doing it. It could be a behavioral pattern of some sort that's doing it. It could be an interest that has so captivated us, it's almost like we can't think of anything else, including the Lord. It could be a pridefulness. It could be a lack of yieldedness. The bottom line is this, whatever it is, Jesus says, take it seriously. 
the more attached to you it is, the more drastic the steps might need, might be that need to be taken. It might seem like you're cutting off an arm or a leg, but it'll be worth it. Do it for him. Do it for him. Our final thought says this. When it comes right down to it, what is being handless, footless, and sightless compared to being saviorless, spiritless, and fatherless? If it came to be a choice, if the father said, you can have the fullness of my presence as long as you cut off a hand, would you cut it off? If heaven itself were at stake, of course we would. Of course we would. It's the kingdom that's at stake. It's our experience. For we know our salvation, praise God, is a gift. We'll never have to make the choice, heaven or my hand. We'll never have to make the choice, heaven or my foot. Heaven or my, one of my eyes. Because salvation's a gift. But the abundant life is not. The abundant life is the result of a relationship between us and our living God. The God who has saved us. The Father who is in heaven, who has planned it all. The Son who has provided for it all. The Spirit who is producing it all. This is what we say here. Resolve. Final thought, resolve to divest yourself of anything and everything that would get in the way of you entering into the fullness of the life Jesus died to provide and that Numa came to produce and that Abba wants you to experience. That, that in fact is a resolve like none other, like no other that any human being can make. May we make it together. Heavenly Father, there were words that Jesus spoke on this earth that were hard to hear. But Father, those that were ready and those who then later on by the enlightenment of your Holy Spirit could understand them They cherish them. Father, these are words that must be taken seriously. Jesus was talking about something very important. He's saying that we can live our lives in such a way that we get in the way of what God would do in our lives. Father, we don't want to get in the way. The very fact that we can should be a little bit unnerving. Father, we would want to say, just have your way in us. You're God. You can steamroller us right into righteousness. But Father, you choose not to do that. You extend the hand of your Holy Spirit to us, and he says, grab a hold and let's walk together. We're heading in a direction of righteousness. We're heading in a direction of of fruitfulness. We're heading down the path that might be narrow, but it's wonderful. Father, help us today 
to exercise the will that we have to resolve that that is our desire. And nothing will be allowed to get in the way. We ask you for the wisdom that we might identify things that are in the way and that, Father, then your spirit would just strengthen our will and courage to say, I will have to step away from that. And I do so for Jesus' sake. And, Father, may just great goodness emerge. May a great testimony for Jesus emerge. May his church gain in glory. May this congregation, each of us individually, just sense that we've acted upon this resolve. And may we do it again and again and again. This we ask in his name and by the strength of his spirit. Amen. We hope this message has inspired you to live the sun life together with us. If you are near Apple Valley, California this weekend, we invite you to join us in person Sunday morning or through our live broadcast. All the details are on our website at sunlifecommunitychurch.com.